This is exactly right. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Show with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan, your host, and you're listening to our weekly Parent Footprint podcast. Our goal at Parent Footprint is to make the world a better place, one parent and one child at a time. And we believe that the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for parents to be happy, healthy, and engaged themselves. Each week, we talk to an educator, doctor, author, or other professional who will help us by empowering us with their knowledge and insight so we can be purposeful parents and help leave a healthy footprint on our children. I'm excited to have my colleague, Dr. Gary Edding, talk with us today about vision and learning when 2020 eyesight isn't enough. Dr. Edding is an optometrist and board certified in vision development, and he's a featured lecturer and speaker in major optometric conferences across the United States and internationally as well. And he's been on many magazine articles, uh, Baseball America, Time Magazine, Cycle, and CNN. Dr. Edding, welcome to the Parent Footprint Show. Thank you, Dr. Dan. Okay, so let's just dive right in. How did you get into this work? Well, I was in my third year of optometry school, and I, I saw a notice on the bulletin board about an interprofessional forum at UCLA on learning. So I attended the lecture, and one of the presenters, uh, who eventually became my future partner, was speaking on the signs and symptoms of kids that uh, have undetected visual problems affecting learning. And uh, Well, you, you were hooked right away. <laughs> well, I was hooked right away because... I realized he was talking about me. I mean, I'd always thought that uh, the reason I had to study two or three times harder than everyone else was because I wasn't that smart. Yep. Mm-hmm. Join the club. And, and of course, learning that, I'd always, had, I'd always been a good athlete. I'd always enjoyed reading. My parents had never taken me to even have my eyes examined, and I, I, I was angry because I wanted all those Friday and Saturday nights back when everybody else was out having a good time and I was uh, home studying. So I decided that this was an area that I wanted to work in so I could save other kids from going through what I had to. That must have hit you like a two-by-four when all the pieces came together there in that lecture. You bet. So right away we see the passion in your work. Now I want to tell the listeners, uh, Dr. Edding and I have consulted quite a bit, and uh, I didn't know that. And now it makes sense because your passion and your commitment to getting the word out and to making a difference shows through. And so uh, it really is from a, a personal awareness. You know, the show's about parent footprint, and which we'll talk about your parent footprint or an example later. But this was one where you're looking back, wow, wouldn't this have been great if someone showed this to me? And how can I help others then this, have this realization and this awareness and this help? So... What do you do? You set on this, uh, this road to help kids learn. What ended up happening for you? Well, I have a dream job. I mean, the majority of the people, patients that I see, they get better. Because I help people realize their full potential by removing visual roadblocks that have 
kept them back because they read too slowly or they can't learn fast enough or they can't process fast enough. We provide specialized diagnostic and treatment services for the non-surgical treatment of crossed and lazy eyes, developmental disorders including autism, enhancing sports performance, and traumatic brain injury. But the area that I enjoy the most is working with children and adults who have visual problems interfering with reading, spelling, math, handwriting, eye-hand coordination, and visual processing problems. I mean, most people think that uh, when you have a visual problem, you'll just outgrow it. But in fact, practicing bad habits over and over again just embeds those habits. And so we'll see adults that have chosen careers not because they wanted them, but rather because they were avoiding any kind of a job that might have involved too much reading or too much close work. Well, and we all compensate, right? So we we try to stay away from things that are hard, even when we don't know why, and go towards things that we can do uh, better. But a point that you're making is how many people out there are not maximizing their potential because of an undiagnosed or unrecognized weakness that could actually be treated. Absolutely true. So something that you have educated me about, and I think we need to make it common knowledge, and, and it relates to the, the title of our podcast today, is, is when 2020 eyesight isn't enough. Tell everyone the difference between sight and vision. Okay, well, I'd be happy to do that. Most of the time when people think they use the terms vision and sight interchangeably, but sight the ability to see a certain size letter at 20 feet, that's called visual acuity. Sadly, that is the only visual ability that's typically screened when a child's growing up. It usually takes place in the pediatrician's office or later when they start in school in the nurse's office. But that's just one visual ability. Vision is really the emergent of many, many visual abilities, depending on who you're talking to, 20 to 30 different visual abilities that really help us understand what we see. And the more successful you are, the better able you are to process what you see quickly, comfortably, accurately, and for extended periods of time. If you go around the world in any classroom where there are, whether it's a learning disabilities classroom or a classroom where kids are struggling, the vast majority of those kids, certainly 90% plus, have no difficulty with seeing clearly in the distance. So it's almost better that they didn't do a vision screening for eyesight at the distance because it lulls parents into a false sense of security that everything is okay about, you know, with their child. Right. Many children, I mean, many adults don't realize that you can see clearly in the distance and not see clearly up close until they get into their late 30s, early 40s, when all of a sudden in a restaurant, a dark restaurant, they can't read the, uh, the receipt on their check. Mm-hmm. Now, sadly, in this country, the richest country in the world, less than 35% of all children have had a comprehensive eye exam before they enter kindergarten. And in the states where, these, uh, where we have statistics about the results, 15 to 20% of these kids have vision problems. And this is cutting across socioeconomic lines. So there are kids that are entering school where already it's not a level playing field. 
Well, and I've heard that there it's a huge percentage of kids with learning issues are based in visual processing problems. Yeah, the, the estimate is somewhere between 40 to 60% of these kids uh, that are suffering in the later ages have those particular problems. What most people don't, we don't realize... For we, them. Absolutely. Well, in school, we're always taught that the eye is like a camera. But if anything, the eye is certainly not like a camera. It's more like a very, very complex computer. And vision, basically, we know is learned. That's not from me, but that's really from the pioneering work of uh, Dr. Arnold Gazelle, the noted pediatrician from the Yale Child Institute, where he found in the 40s, where they studied thousands and thousands of kids, that there's a specific sequence of vision development that a child goes through before they are visually competent to begin to read. And what he found in the 40s was that readiness time comes in around six and a half or seven. And yet in this country, we continue to lower the reading age and introducing reading into you know, kindergarten and sometimes earlier before these children even have a chance to develop the, uh, the competency they need to be able to learn to read. Now, because vision's learned, no two people learn it at the same rate or to the same degree. It certainly makes it more difficult than to diagnose or assess who has a actual reading issue when you're saying that the brain and the our eyes are they're not meant to go together to read at at that level at when we're introducing it in our uh, in our schools. You know, absolutely and 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 for a parent Unlike learning to walk and talk, it's hard for a parent, unless they've had more than one child, and especially for the child themselves, to know whether they're doing it right. Now, some children may need 10 or 20 different opportunities to interact with the environment in order to really develop a particular ability. Mm -hmm. Others can do it in five or six. But if you're a child that needs you know, 15 or 20 opportunities to learn to do something, and you only get five or six chances, that visual ability when you move into the next stage of development is going to be arrested. Hmm. So, you know, if I'm a parent listening to this show, as many are, I'm wondering, well, how would I know if my child does have a visual issue or, or, or what are things that I should be looking for? Well, even though my colleagues and myself are spending a lot of time trying to educate teachers and educational specialists on what to look for, there's really no substitute for a comprehensive uh, developmental vision exam to see where your child is compared to their peers, how their skills compare to their, what we would expect for their cognitive ability, and for what they're being asked to do in the classroom. Now, the good news is, is uh, and I don't know how many years it's been going on, but in over 10,000 optometric offices across the United States, there's a program that's called Infancy, uh, where you provide free vision screenings for infants under the age of one year of age. So certainly all that's parents young. should take advantage of, of that opportunity. Now, it's curious that parents get into the rhythm of taking their children to the dentist probably, you know, at the first six months of age. And yet, uh, while I think it's wonderful and it's important, children don't learn with their teeth. Yeah, I mean, the word isn't, the word isn't out. The word isn't out that 
we should be looking at eyes early. You're right. Everyone say, go to the dentist, floss your teeth, get your teeth clean. You know, it's estimated that 60 to 70% of what we learn comes to us through vision. And so what we advise, or, you know, we'd like to see is we like to see patients provided their infancy exam is fine. We'd like to see them again at two and a half or three years old, not because we're expecting that they're going to need corrective eyewear, but rather to begin to empower their parents to provide the toys, games, and the environment to ensure that their vision develops properly. And then when we're able to see them yearly, we can, you know, gauge how that progress is going. And oftentimes, uh, a child uh, can avoid, uh, parents can avoid their child suffering in school just sometimes by maybe having them spend another year in preschool or another year in kindergarten until their visual abilities catch up to the visual demands that they're being asked to uh, respond to in the classroom. So like most things, you're saying early intervention is key, but also I'm guessing um, with neuroplasticity, it's never too late as a parent to get your kid's eyes checked and see what's going on. No, because vision's learned, it can be developed and it can be really developed at any age. People always ask me, well, because a lot of what we end up doing in our office, we're usually the last person that uh, a parent will bring their child to who's struggling in school. Uh, they've gone to everybody else, and, and oftentimes they'll come in to us, and one of the first questions I'll ask the child is, do you ever see double when you read? And it's not uncommon for me to hear a child say that, yes. And I would say that happens at least two, three times a week. And the parent looks at them and says, well, why didn't you tell me? And the kid says, well, don't you see double also? So we, we're <laughs> right. But because on the, on the reports that I get from the other paraprofessionals, they'll say, well, the eyes, eyesight is perfect. It's 2020. So therefore that area was never looked at and the child has unnecessarily, uh, you know, lost time and has developed bad visual habits, which means that the only way we can successfully remove the visual roadblocks is we have to retrain the visual brain to learn to use the eyes in a more efficient way. Now, some of the signs that parents and teachers should look for that may tip them off that a child has a problem with an undetected vision problem are things such as having to use their finger to keep their place when they read, skipping and leaving out small words, skipping lines, having difficulty copying from the board to their paper, holding the book unusually close, getting into distorted postures or covering an eye when they're reading, slow reading speed, low comprehension, even though they've had extensive tutoring, complaints of headaches after they use their eyes for a while, or blurry vision. They usually struggle with spelling. They have difficulty sometimes transposing letters and numbers. Uh, They have difficulty with visual spatial tasks, and they have difficulty with uh, visual motor tasks, even though they've had extensive occupational therapy. What people don't also know is that um, 20% of the visual information that comes into the eye does not even go back to what we call the visual part of the brain, but rather it goes into the trunk and to the rest of the body uh, because vision is very intimately involved in balance and posture. So another tip-off that a child may have a undetected visual problem is is that they're clumsy or they have poor eye-hand coordination, can't catch a ball, can't uh, 
directed it where they wanted to go. You know, as I'm listening to you, Dr. Edding, I'm thinking just about, you've mentioned symptoms of just about every single type of learning and processing issue that is out there. Like, just about every single one potentially can be traced back to vision, whether it's visual motor. Yeah, right. But there's there's other disciplines that work on complementary skills as well. But by the age of five, you know, six and a half or seven, vision is, should be the dominant sense because, and vision directs the body. So for example, if you can't move your eye in a smooth pattern when you're following a moving target, how are you going to be able to direct your hand to move the pencil on the page. And so a a simple visual ability, such as just what we call a visual pursuit, following a moving target, a child that hasn't developed competency in that simple ability will have difficulty uh, with printing, with handwriting, spacing the words on the page, reproducing what they see, coloring inside the lines, throwing a ball in a straight line. Yeah, well, and a lot of times these kids are basically accused of being lazy and rushing through their work and not caring when it actually can't come out the way they want it to come out because of this one of these issues you're describing. That leads me into one of the most important visual conditions we see, which are eye-teaming problems, where even though you know people just think it's a natural thing that the, the two eyes automatically feed information to the visual brain and everything is integrated you know, seamlessly, well, that is learned as well. And a lot of children uh, have difficulty teaming their eyes together. And many of these eye-teaming problems masquerade as attention and concentration problems. Exactly. It's kind of like trying to have two horses that are pulling your wagon that hate each other move the wagon in a straight line. And so, like you said, if if a child has an eye-teaming problem and their parents say, try harder, well, the harder they pull on those horses, the more the horses want to go their separate way. So after a while, you know, they just don't want to try anymore. And when they don't try, and they look at kids around them that are able to do it, one of the, one of the things that goes through their mind is, is, well, you know, I'm as smart. You know, maybe I'm not so smart because look at how this kid's having an easier time and I'm trying my best and I can't do it. Right. So oftentimes these visual problems can become a behavioral problem because the child knows that his parents are, or her parents love him and they don't want their parents to, and they think their parents think they are smart. So they want to hide this problem from their parents. So many times they will uh, act out or they will be the class clown to deflect attention off the fact that they can't do the task. Right, right. Well, you said three, imp- there's, I'm thinking three things that come to mind. One of the most important things that you just said is that it it can manifest as attentional issues. And on a previous show, we talked about how auditory processing issues can also mimic attention issues. And we know that ADHD is a well-recognized concept, and some people think underdiagnosed, some people think overdiagnosed. But again, it's important that the listeners know that a visual processing issue can end up looking like an attentional issue. Um, which is why it's so important to look at all of the different aspects of functioning of a child when you're trying to figure out the complexity of why they might not be doing well in school, as well as some behavior problems that you really can't get your handle on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and what people also need to realize is that while there's more area of the brain dedicated to vision than all the other senses combined, if you're having a difficult, if you're having a problem in, let's say, sensory motor development or a problem in auditory processing, the likelihood is you're going to have some difficulties in the visual area as well. It's not uncommon for colleagues to refer me patients that they think that the problem, the child has a visual problem when in fact the child's problem is they don't understand what they hear. So I work very closely uh, with speech and language specialists. In fact, I have a speech and language person that's actually works in my office, has, you know, has a space in my office, because these problems are oftentimes seen at the same time. Both of them have devastating effects for the child if they're not diagnosed, both from a social standpoint as well as an academic standpoint. Well, and you just hit the next point, because in the past, uh, you and I have discussed the complexity of how visual issues can actually impact social processing or social relationships or basically just social skills. So could you say a little something about that? Well, we can talk about, you know, there's a lot of issues involved because one of the uh, symptoms I didn't mention is poor eye contact. Now, we know that on the autistic spectrum, that's a very common uh, characteristic, but many reasons that there are other reasons why people have difficulty making eye contact, and sometimes they are visual. And so what happens is, is that if, if someone's not able to look at somebody, especially in their close visual space, without it being uncomfortable, and they're not looking at them, they're not going to be picking up a lot of the nonverbal clues that are giving them feedback about whether what they're saying or what they're doing is accepted by the person they're uh, interfacing with. The other thing is, is that if you have to put conscious effort into trying to keep things clear and single, it's difficult for you to handle more than one sensory input at a time. So oftentimes, kids that have uh, undetected visual problems, the parents will tell me, well, we had his hearing checked and his hearing is fine but he has difficulty following directions and and oftentimes the reason he's having difficulty following directions is that if he's making eye contact he can't process the directions at the same time they can really only do one thing at a time right and you know again i want to recap here for the listeners if you have a child who is frustrated in school struggling in school, underperforming in school, and you've gone to another professionals, you've gotten some different kinds of testing, learning testing, you've gone to an audiologist, you know, if things aren't adding up, this is the place to look, again, because such a high number of these of, of people have undiagnosed visual processing issues, and, this, and our visual processing system impacts so many aspects of life, learning, attention, focus, task commitment, social skills, and then, as you pointed out, behavior. And so many kids get misdiagnosed with this label, which I do not like, oppositional defiant disorder, which basically just describes difficult behavior. It doesn't tell us what's going on behind the scenes, and that's what we really need to know to help a child. So in terms of that, Dr. Edding, when a visual processing issue is identified, what's done? Okay, well, usually the, you know, the process in, in terms of testing is, will involve you know, several hours of testing. To get an idea of where to start 
from a vision development standpoint. The treatment program is called optometric vision therapy. I mean, that's the term we use, but it's really visual brain retraining because we're really trying to teach the person how to use a more efficient pattern to do a particular task. It involves usually weekly visits for 50 minutes and, you know, coupled with about 24 minutes of homework to reinforce these visual abilities so that they become automatic. Uh, Typical programs, depending on how early the child is seen and how uh, deeply embedded the problems are, typically the programs are from, you know, three to nine months uh, in duration. And they're not something that needs to keep being revisited all the time. I mean, once these skills are learned and they're practiced, they become unconscious and they're a part of the uh, of the individual. You know, and I just want to make a, a, a statement here is there's there's seemingly controversy in the literature about the research on vision therapy. And uh, I'm just going to state here that uh, based on lots of experience with clients and family members who have gone through vision therapy when it has been appropriately uh, suggested, it really can help. And it really can make the difference in not only reading ability, but ability to pay attention, ability to focus, what is then translated into what we call motivation, because now someone has the stamina and and can be successful. And so I just want to say it's definitely something to look into when your child is struggling, you've tried lots of stuff and nothing else is working. Vision therapy is retraining your brain, just like Dr. Edding said. And we're now going towards the end of our show here with our uh, favorite moment. We call this the parent footprint moment. And this is where I ask our guest about a moment where they became aware of themselves or an interaction in a parenting situation. And that awareness had a positive impact on their child. Looking forward to this, Dr. Edding. Okay. Well, while I have uh, several, one of the most memorable was when my oldest son, we had just, we had paid about two weeks before, made a down payment on his tuition to go to uh, law school. And about a a week before he was to go to law school, he um, called my wife and I into the room because he wanted to tell us something. And my wife was holding onto my arm. And uh, he said, uh, mom and dad, I don't want to go to law school. And at that time, <laughs> my wife's my wife's nails started to dig into my arm, and I <laughs> and and I, and I said, "Well, Josh, uh, it was your decision to go to law school. If you don't want to go to law school, that's fine." I said, "What is it that you would like to do?" He says, "Dad, I'm an idea man. I want to be a writer." And then my wife's nails dug in a little deeper. And uh, I said, well, did you take any classes in writing when you were at college? He said, no. And so I said, well, what exactly are you going to write? And he says, I'm going to write movies. And I said, okay. I said, well, what I'm going to do for you is, is, is what my parents could never do for me. I said, I'm going to... I'm going to give you a, a, a you know, kind of a, a golden parachute. I said, I'd like you to pursue your dream. I said, but I want you, after a year, if the dream is not there, I want you to do something so that you'll be able to support yourself one day. Mm-hmm. 
and uh my wife by by then my arm was uh starting to show signs of blood because my wife was just uh, <laughs> she wasn't saying anything we were both sitting there and the beauty of that moment is that he became exactly what he said he was going to become huh that's what he went on to be i mean we you know at the end of the year he had not reached his uh he had not uh you know found his place uh, he went on his own, got an advanced uh, degree in, in business, which he claims to this day he really didn't need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he ended up doing exactly what he wanted to do, that he has a passion for. And, uh, you know, so I, I, you know, when we look back on it, both my wife and I, I mean, it would have been so easy for us to have not received that news. And we were so, we were so grateful that he was comfortable enough to be able to talk to us and share this because we would have uh, never forgiven ourselves if he would have gone into a field that he wouldn't have been successful in. You took the road less traveled and you allowed him the space to pursue the less, um, the less structured path. And uh, you gave him that opportunity, I'm sure. And his life, his life has gone in a different direction because of that. That's wonderful. Yep. And, you know, from a parent footprint perspective, guess what your grandchild will receive when that person comes to him and says, you know what, I think I want to do this. Yep. I have a feeling he will, uh, he'll, he'll think back on that moment. I certainly hope well, Dr. so. Dr. Edding, thank you for being on the show and educating us about eyesight and vision. And uh, listeners, 2020 is not enough if your child is exhibiting puzzling behavior. This is where we want to go get vision checked. Uh, Dr. Edding, where can our listeners learn more about you and your work? Well, I have two websites. One is called, one word, visualprocessing.com. Another one is uh, visionhelp, H-E-L-P.com. And the organization that uh, certifies uh, doctors in my area of expertise and, and is able to give you uh, a doctor in your particular area is, and has plenty of articles for additional information is the acronym CCOVD.org. It stands for the College of Optometrists and Vision Development. Wonderful information. You are truly a leader in the field and always uh, present everything straightforward, user-friendly, and now I know why you're so passionate about it. Dr. Edding, thanks for being on the show. I'd like to thank listeners for tuning in. And if you want to learn more about Parent Footprint, please go to www.parentfootprint.com. And as always, I will leave you with a final question. What footprint do you want to leave?